This episode of Love Rants discusses topics that may be triggering to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Pop Sugar's Love Rants is brought to you by Yuli, an innovative online healthcare platform exclusively for women that says buck that to the traditional healthcare system. Get online and get faster access to women's health and medicine by visiting yuli.com.au. Hello and welcome to Pop Sugar's Love Rants. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land in which we're recording and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. I'm Melissa Mason, a journalist, podcaster and the host of Love Rants. We're here to have conversations that get to the heart of various topics that fall under the broad umbrella of love, sex and relationships. Throughout this series, I'll sit down with someone different as we navigate the vulnerability, embarrassment and preciousness of love and self-love. Well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Love Rants. I am your host, Melissa Mason, and today on the podcast, I have a very special guest. She's an advocate for holistic consent and sexuality education, and as the founder of Teach Us Consent, you probably know her name. It is, of course, Chanel Contos, and you've even got a book coming out, right, called Consent Laid Bare? Yes, it's coming out on September 12th. I'm so excited, and thank you so much for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on and chatting to us. It is really an honor. I'm very into your work. I was actually going to say maybe it's worth you running back over your story of how Teach Us Consent started because when I was researching for this episode, I didn't realize it all started from an Instagram post. Yeah, um, (laughs) it's quite funny because it was obviously a very significant movement in terms of the education space Mm. and a massive win for the prevention of sexual violence but it did start by accident (laughs) from instagram (laughs) so uh basically i had the idea to do something about the widespread um experience of sexual assault in 10 years Mm. like way back in 2020 and my intention was to i kind of made up this plan where i was going to reach out to my old school and the nearby um schools particularly the boys schools around with this kind of idea of like testimonies and petition next to each other asking for adequate consent education in these schools and then in 2021 i ended up instead of just kind of like asking for meetings with principals and stuff like that i ended up posting on instagram saying have you or has anyone close to you ever been sexually assaulted by someone who went to an all boys school in Sydney and it just really took off and then that kind of meant that it was suddenly a very public facing um Mm. form of advocacy and then I launched teachersconsent.com which um the petition for holistic and early consent education got over 45,000 signatures and the uh amount of people who submitted a testimony of their experience of sexual assault whilst they were in the Australian school system and how they thought consent education could have prevented that um, reached about 7,000 in only a few weeks as well, which was pretty nuts. So, yeah, Yeah. that's how it all started. And then it was very much like in the media with politicians, everything. But I love (laughs) that it did start from a social thing. I love that too. And it's so, I I remember when it kicked off and I was like, it's just something that I'd never thought about. And then as soon as you were talking about it, I was like, wow, yeah, we really were not taught properly about consent and even like sexual education at school. And just from my memory was so basic, 
so focused on like abstinence and on like shaming people and making people feel like, you know, terrified of sex and and kind of, um, you know, but but not really actually addressing the fact that everyone was kind of going to do it anyway and was also like obviously mm. at some point in their lives going to do it. So it was like why are we teaching everybody to be terrified of this and not giving them adequate tools to like navigate all of the like – you know, like not just consent, but just the emotional and like the physical side of it or like the pleasure that you can have from sex. Like, I don't know why that's not allowed in schools, you know? So it was like, it was a really interesting conversation to start up. And, and I also, yeah, like remember so many really problematic experiences with, you know, boys in high school and just, um, you know, even just down to the basic stuff, like, like on the bus, like flicking your bra straps, like lifting mm. up your skirt, like just silly, stupid stuff that we we honestly shrugged off as silly, stupid stuff, but it really wasn't. Yeah, definitely. I think all of those sort of actions really kind of lay a foundation for which more overt um, and problematic acts of sexual violence can occur. And yeah, it's so true. It's, it, it all comes in together because it sounds disjointed, right? To be like, oh yeah, this stuff happens on the bus and we don't get taught about mm. pleasure in the classroom. And it's like, how are those two things related? But they're actually extremely related because we're kind of in all these different ways. Um, we're centering like very much like male-centered, um, you know, male-entitled sexuality education, mm-hmm. which is then like outplayed into the real world. Um, and I, I do find that, wild that kind of at no point during my schooling career was I was it ever said to me that I was meant to enjoy sex yeah and I think that it it just sets young girls up for failure if that sex is something they should avoid that they shouldn't want that you know it's it's bad for them it's bad for their reputation it's shameful for them like whatever um in all these kind of like little ways of like purity culture teaching abstinence like all that sort of stuff it makes it really hard for young girls to be able to even identify that a sexual situation wasn't okay or that it was one of violence if they've been told that kind of all sexual situations are meant to follow that narrative. Absolutely, because I also had we had like a um, we had this guy come in, and it's it's funny because like I mean I'm older than you, so I don't know if this was still going on when you were in school, but we had this guy come to because I went to an all girls school. And we had a guy come in and he I know exactly this. which guy it's going to be. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I know Everyone exactly that like, I talked that, yeah. to was at the like with the hand movements and it's like stop, eyes, foot. Yeah. It was eyes, foot, throat and groin. No, groin, yeah, foot. No, I've, I've mucked it up. But it was basically like he taught you how to fight off an attacker. And to yeah. be fair, and like I was in school in like the early 2000s and to be fair to him, he, he was pretty progressive in that he actually talked quite extensively about date rape and about friends who might like, you know, try and, you know, sexually assault you and how to get, but it was always how to get out of that situation. And I, and I suppose it's like a, it is a bit of a, um, you know, complicated one because on one hand, I still feel like we need to teach women you know, how to protect themselves, but it also shouldn't be, the onus shouldn't be on women to protect themselves. It should be on, you know, men not to rape and assault. Yeah, it's a weird in-between where it's like, obviously in an ideal world, we wouldn't need to take any sort of precautionary measures against being, you know, 
sexually assaulted or sexually harassed or whatever. But the reality is that <clears throat> we know that we do live in a world where things that shouldn't be related to that, like, un, like they trigger people's entitlement to your body more. So whether it's something you're wearing or something you're doing or something you're saying, whatever. And I think it's really about the language and how we talk about that. Like, I mean, I think I think self-defense classes are quite funny because <laughs> it's just it, it, it's incredibly unrealistic that that would be a natural response to a situation yeah. like that, especially if we're thinking about a stereotypical example of rape where the perpetrator will almost definitely be a man um, and the mm-hmm. victim um, in most cases will be a woman. How realistic is it that we are going to think that fighting is a good idea yeah. or trying to run away from them? Um, yeah. It's actually much more common for women to either freeze, so not do mm. anything, or um, fawn, which basically means mm-hmm. being over nice in order to survive the situation. So mm-hmm. instead of, you know, trying to like do the two finger push in the eyes and punch them in the <laughs> nose and like <laughs> knee them in the balls, you just be like, oh, ha, ha, yeah, okay. Um, mm. Or like kind of be like shy and timid just to get out of the situation alive, um, which I think is really poorly recognized um, in a lot of prevention measures because people always say like oh if you scream they're less likely to you know kidnap you or attack you or whatever all these things and it's like how common are we actually in those situations like touch wood but I don't know anyone who has had some sort of you know middle of the street kidnapping like Mm. situation of course they happen but when they happen you know sometimes can be global news depending on who it is but it's like much more like it's much more productive to focus on this idea that it's it's coming from friends, it's coming from like the person you have a crush on, it's coming from intimate partners, it's coming from mm. ex intimate partners, and going back um, going back to what you said about like how do we it should we should be talking about how men shouldn't be raping rather than what we can't do. I think it is in the language of how we say it. So you know if we do need to say oh maybe if you're walking to the party where we're a jumper on the way there because there's there's bad men out there. But then also mm. acknowledging that you're much more likely to be assaulted at a party with all of your friends than you are to be on the walk to or from a place. And also it's that like that's I think where you get down to that consent education, right? Because I think that, you know, there was this real black and white sort of positioning of sexual assault where it was like, if the woman doesn't say no, like it's no means no, right? So it's like the woman Mm. would say no and then that's what we were teaching, like, you know, from our youth we were being taught no means no. But the reality, like you're saying, in the situation is it's not always that, like, you know, somebody comes up to you and, like, makes a sexual gesture or, like, tries to start something with you and then you're saying no. It can be that you were making out or you were, like, you know, in the process of hooking up and then you don't want to hook up or you don't want to go any further or you don't want to do a particular move. Like we, you've just talked recently about, um, you know, strangulation. This That's one of my favourite topics at the moment because I remember so many hookups where the guy would just go straight for choking and I was like, what is this new trend of like men just going for this, you know, sex sex move that is 
incredibly dangerous when not done correctly and also not definitely something you need consent for. Um, but, you know, that all comes down to how we're teaching people, right? Because if you don't know that mm. women might start fawning or um, freezing and you are taught it's okay to do anything you want as long as you don't hear no, then you're going to run with that, which I, you know, I still don't think is right. Like I still think, come on, like common sense, like obviously mm, if the person yeah. seems uncomfortable, you know it. But I do think that at least starts with education. Like at the very least talking about that from a young age is going to hopefully mould minds in a positive way. I hope so too. And I, I agree. Like you would hope that it would be common sense, but unfortunately that is not um, not the case for many, especially because they're seeing these sort of acts on like very – like in very explicit ways in pornography where they're either seeing women be completely complicit um, in it or sorry, they're complacent to it or um, or like acting as if they're loving it without understanding that these are actors. And, mm. um, and it is really scary as well because imagine like, imagine that, you're, and I mean, you know, a lot, a lot of people have been in this situation, but if you're with a strange guy who you're kissing, you want to be kissing him or, you know, maybe having sex, whatever, and then suddenly his hands are around your neck, mm. why would you start screaming, stop, no, punch him in the eyes, whatever? You are probably going to think, oh my God, I could die right now. I'm going to do whatever this man wants me to do or wants me to say in order to be able to leave here in half an hour. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think, yeah. It's definitely really poorly answered. And also with the no means no thing, it's kind of we've, – we've got affirmative um, consent legislation being rolled out around Australia in different parts at the moment, which is really exciting because it does really change that narrative from no means no to only yes means yes, which yeah. kind of – it accounts for things like freezing in a way and stuff like that. But it still misses the mark. So obviously the legal system is never going to be able to really, truly, especially – on, in such a you know an intimate crime that is sexual assault, it's never going to be able to truly understand all of those intricacies. But it misses the mark on a few key points, which is one: is it is it safe to say no? Like, do you say yes because it's safer, but it doesn't count? But in the eyes of the law and in the eyes of the person that comes across as consent, and then even as we move to a yes means yes rule. Are we taking into account the idea of all those things you just brought up, pleasure, um, intimacy, like better known as enthusiastic consent? That's what Mm. we should really be aiming for here, right? Where people are not only, you know, legally consenting, but enthusiastically engaging in a sexual activity. Yeah. And that's where I think I, oh, I, I find it really frustrating and, and makes me so angry when you hear arguments where it's like, oh, no, well, you know, yeah, she didn't say no or will she, you know, let it happen or whatever. And you're just like, yeah, but you have to know. Like this is where I just don't understand how anyone can excuse you know, going ahead with any sex act or anything sexual with somebody who isn't enthusiastically giving consent because, like, you can read the body language. Like, I know when I've been – I've had, you know – 
you know, situations where I've been definitely uncomfortable and, like you've said, gone ahead with things because I was honestly scared that something, especially if it was with someone that I didn't know very well, um, so say in that sense of a hookup, you know, where you're like, I don't know this person and I don't know if if I say no right now in the middle of something just sprung upon me, like choking, for example, whether this is going to turn dangerous for me. So it's really, yeah, but it's just mm. really messed up that you can say that, that anyone can say, oh, but they didn't say no or they said yes, you know, but they clearly were like not enthusiastic and terrified and like surely you can sense that. I mean, I think this comes down to male sexual entitlement and the fact that it's never been part of the narrative that sex is supposed to be fun for women. Mm-hmm. Um neither for women or for men either. I think that's, yeah, massively, massively fundamental part of that. If it's, it was never told that it was meant to be pleasurable, then how are we meant to, I mean, again, I, there is a part of me that's like, this is basic common sense and it's basic empathy. But if someone has been socialized and has an extreme amount of sexual entitlement over another's body, and they're not seeing us as like a true human that they're engaging in intimacy as they're seeing us as a vessel for their sexual outlets. Like then obviously us not saying no is good enough for them, mm. um, which is devastating, but it is the case. No, but it's so the true. ironic thing, the like kind of like darkly ironic thing about fawning though. And like that idea of being like, Oh, I don't, I don't want to say no to this strange man is that most of the time it will actually be fine and saying no would actually probably be like Mm. it a lot but you don't know it's not worth the risk of being like there's a one percent chance here this guy is a egotistical like dickhead or serial killer whatever do i take that risk of the chance that he'll be Mm. kind of like oh sorry um and you know i'm not saying that I'm not saying that most men accept to know the first time that said, I'm sure it's very common for, you know, men to ask multiple times or to use coercion or to pressure or to beg or all these sort of things. But um, it's almost like the cruel quirk of fawning is that whilst it's a survival mechanism for women, how, how susceptible we are to doing it um, is also kind of a reason that so many assaults happen in some weird way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, I suppose that what you said before about, you know, that if you're growing up with this as the social norm, this is like ingrained into society, this idea of like men's entitlement, particularly with sexual pleasure and with sex um, versus women not really being encouraged to enjoy it or, and, but particularly when we're young, right? Like I think that we've had this mm-hmm. sexual revolution where now in our 20s, you know, we're getting taught, like we're, we're really like in this um, great space where we're really, you know, okay about talking about, not even okay, but like excited to talk about women's sexual health and like sexual like wellness, I guess is the like buzzword for it. But, you know, vibrators and, and sex toys and masturbation, like we're not afraid to talk about that or be open about that anymore. And we're also not mm. afraid to, I think, say, hey, like, I'm not just having sex to pleasure you, I'm having sex to pleasure me and, like, we're talking about not faking orgasms anymore and, and you know, and and guiding our sexual partners so that they know what we like and all of that is great but we still, you know, 
I fully think what, like on what you were saying before about the fact that when you're so young and like your first real lessons about sex in a, from a person who is of authority, right? So it will be a teacher or a parent. So it's like, if your parents aren't giving you this really modern, you know, sex talk that includes the pleasure of women and like how this isn't just about men and like sex is good, but in the right circumstances when you're doing it because you want to and all of these things and the other person's giving you consent. If you're not getting that from your parents and you're not getting that from school, then all of your lessons are coming from like other kids or like porn or the internet and, you know, and, 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 and this, I think society in general, we're not fully caught up with that idea. So I think as a little, like a a kid or like a teenager, you're really influenced by, I think that old idea about sex, which is still hanging around. Like we're not fully there where we've fully changed the way that society as a whole thinks about it. I definitely agree. And I think even though once you do kind of reach your, you know, 20s, 30s, whenever it is, for a lot of people now it is becoming a more, we're reducing the taboo around all these stuffs, around all this stuff. I still think there is something kind of like very much ingrained in us, though, that's made this something that's very hard to unlearn. I still think no matter how kind of sex positive um, someone is, how much they talk about it, all that stuff, it is still actively counteracting a feeling of shame that we've been told we're supposed to have because of mm. the way we grew up in those teen years. Actually, it's so interesting. So. I was um, at the pelvic physio the other day because mm-hmm. I get like quite bad um, period pains. So um, I go there to help like um, help my, um, anyway, this is TMI. But anyway, I was there <laughs> and I was speaking to this one. <laughs> I was really into it. I was like, what's a pelvic physio? I want to go. <laughs> oh my God. I'll tell you what a pelvic physio is because it literally <laughs> changed my life. It's basically a physio for like your pelvic region, but it's quite strange because again, like our pelvis is such an important part of our body, but um, especially for women um, mm. and like, and our menstrual cycle yet. Yeah, it's so we don't think about it as a muscle. We don't like use it or, you mm. know, until basically for a lot of women until they um, uh, get pregnant or after pregnancy and things like that. But anyway, I went there to help with my um, chronic period pain. So I really recommend anyone who has chronic period pains to <laughs> consider visiting one. Um, and I was speaking to um, a pelvic physio about the types of like clients that she sees and stuff like that. And a really common reason to go to a pelvic physio is also if you have, um, I'm going to say it wrong, is it vaginismus? Um, yeah. Where you're mm-hmm. like, wait, you get to um, basically it's really painful to have sexual intercourse um, usually because of the tension of your pelvic muscles because of kind of like anxiety. That's a very simplified way of putting it, but in this context. Mm. And she was saying that so many of her patients grew up in um, households that had a lot of shame around sexuality um, that often really like highly perpetuated purity culture that were very strict about abstinence rules and all these sort of things for women and then because and you know did not encourage any form of self-pleasure there was never conversations around it that was you were meant to completely again like abstain from that sort of you know those acts and then they get to an age where you know they may be married or they want to have sex or whatever or they don't they don't practice that sort of thing anymore even but it's kind of how they're being brought up and they can't have sex like their Mm. brain and like it's a it's a mental blockage um of so much kind of like shame that comes through or they can't orgasm 
because of all these stuff. And then we have all these women who are in the medical system and public physios aren't cheap (laughs) and trying to kind of like counteract like a very physical manifestation of all of the shame from um, their younger years. I just found it so interesting because I do often wonder, like, even I didn't grow up in a particularly religious household. Like my parents aren't religious, but Mm. and like my school wasn't religious, but obviously those kind of like ideals of, um, you know, what a, a good woman is and purity levels and stuff like that are around us at all times. And it's just so mm. hard to even begin to start to distinguish where those come into play and what that means. Now, we just want to take a moment to share about our sponsor, Yuli. Yuli is saying buck that to the traditional healthcare system by offering a hassle-free online service that empowers women with a modern approach to discreet, convenient healthcare and medicine. Get faster access to medical certificates, treatments and prescriptions like the contraceptive pill, emergency contraception such as the morning after pill, acne treatments, weight management, sexual health, even assistance to help you quit vaping. And it's all delivered to your door or inbox thanks to their innovative online health service. So say buck that and get online by visiting yuli at yuli.com.au to get your health sorted. Yeah, no, 100%. I still feel like the way we view sex, the way the way we talk about sex to young people is with this fear, like, and the fear is is like, you know, and, and I guess there are things to be concerned about because I think it's that, and, and, and like when I think about my own parents, like I did, I did grow up in a religious household, but when I got the sex talk, we weren't religious yet. And I, my mum's a teacher and I remember her being quite detailed with it, but it was still like, you know, the late 90s. And so it was still very much like limited to this is what sex is. And, you know, it wasn't, it didn't go into anything to do with pleasure, anything to do with how to know you're ready or like, you know, what, like, yeah, just, just what, what sex actually looked like from a realistic perspective for a teenager. I guess it was all very like clinical. And, and it's interesting though, because when I think about the way my parents taught me about sex and the way that I learned in school, it was really all this fear around getting pregnant and fear around STIs. Mm. And it's not that I think that that shouldn't be in there because I think that they are very real like situations that can occur from having sex, right? But it is, Mm. you know, really centred on the the woman and how that's going to affect the women in that class. And like, I mean, yeah, it's difficult for me to, like it'd be interesting for, for someone from a co-ed school because I was grew up in a girls' school, so it was obviously centred on what, how girls were affected by sex. But not one scrap of pleasure discussion. Like I didn't know what a clitoris was properly until like my 20s. Like it was wild, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it was just not... It was just not... And I think even now to this day, like, and you see the rise of like online sex therapists and Instagram sex therapists. And I learn so much all the time. And I'm like, how am I a woman in my 30s still learning about Mm. my own body? Like, how is that never taught to me? I know it upsets me so much when I think about it, the amount of information that was skimmed over. And I mean, it does reach a point where it's like, is this the school's like job or is it not the school's job? But even like like, clitoris is often removed from biology diagrams 
And so mm, it's like wow. at this point we're literally just like there's no argument to say this shouldn't be taught here because it's like we're looking at this from a very scientific level and you're being like, oh, but this part doesn't matter. And, yeah, the other day I was with friends and we were talking about – I was talking about how exactly what you just said. Like it constantly shocks me how when I find something out about myself that I'm like – or about the female body or about like – all this stuff and I'm like how have I gotten to now and still not knowing that like why has no one told me that and um I was with my school friends and I said how many ovaries do we have and some of them said one and some of them said four and I was like oh my god this is how much the school system has failed us they're all incredibly intelligent women who know like lots about history geography whatever all their university degrees and we weren't taught that so like we didn't even know that and then they're like but we don't know how many bones we have <laughs> I'm like, it feels different <laughs> it, it absolutely is different no it's different and it's do you know where it's coming up for me now is with friends of mine who are like trying to get pregnant or are pregnant and all this information about like actually getting pregnant and like how you actually get pregnant we're all like we were told for like all I believed all for so long was anytime you had sex at any point you would just get pregnant mm. you would just it would just happen because yeah. that's how we were taught in school like you're not even teaching us like the medical actual realities of any of this you're just scaring everybody into kind of you know and 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 I get that a lot of that is like you know I think with curriculums and so on like obviously it takes a while for change to happen and and I think that's why it's so great that you launched Teach Us Consent because like I said it was something I hadn't thought about at all and and thought was the norm from my school days and it it took someone to actually go hey hang on a minute this is this is not how this should be like there should be more in this you know school learning to really prepare kids and 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 prepare young people for their sex lives and and in a in a consent way, um, and the other thing I was gonna I was gonna touch on was, you know, what you were talking about briefly about you know put a jumper on when you're walking through this bit, going to a party or whatever, and all the shame that we're taught as well around how we're meant to act and what we're meant to wear as women. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sat with me too into my adult years. I was even talking on this podcast on an episode about how I still feel so awkward and uncomfortable if I am wearing like a revealing top. And I'm sure that's all connected to shame from growing up and just, you know, having, having adults in my life who, instead of saying, you know, like, letting me kind of, I guess, be express myself. It was, oh, you shouldn't be wearing that top. You know, you're going to, you know, encourage the wrong behaviors in men. Like I was literally told things like that growing up, um, which has really influenced the way I see my body now and, and see how, like my, how I dress now, I guess as well. Yeah. And all those kind of throwaway comments mean that if something more major or you know more drastic or more bad does happen you go back to those and you blame yourself for them like it, it just kind of again sets mm. the scene for victim blaming um down line and okay the one I always think about as well because literally like I go, I go into schools a lot and speak to um mainly girls but speaking mm. to school students especially in the UK and without doubt every time the girls say to me and we used to get told this all the time they'd say your skirt's too short. It's distracting for the male teachers. Oh, and yes, that was just that kind was of like a, a commonplace. Yeah, and if you think about it now, it's like, oh my god! Like, 
Sorry, you're telling a 15-year-old girl that it is her problem that a grown man is sexualizing her. Like, no. It's a massive difference between, and again, this comes back to the language thing. It's a massive difference between saying your skirt's too short, it's against school uniform policy, like, Mm -hmm. fine, whatever, versus it's distracting for male teachers. Like, And that's just such a commonplace saying, and it's like, or, like, it's distracting for men in the street. It's, like, we're really, like, as a whole teaching girls that men, older men, preying on them is their problem. Yeah. Wow, I've totally forgotten about that one, but you're so right. Yes. And it was so bizarre because it's, like, why are you putting the onus on the child in the room to control themselves, inverted commas, you know, like the education in Australia in terms of sexual education because I know that at the beginning of last year, you know, you had gotten to the point where ministers of education had committed to mandating this kind of, you know, consent education reform. Um, Has that happened? Have we done enough yet? Like what's going on? So it has happened. So consent education is now in the Australian National Curriculum as of this year, which is very exciting. Amazing. However, like whilst that is a massive win and I'm so excited about it and I think it's so promising, the next problem is implementation because the Mm. curriculum can say absolutely anything but if the individual teacher in that room with those students doesn't feel equipped to have these conversations or doesn't want to have these conversations or, you know, has them in a problematic way that perpetuates these attitudes when they see consent as a dot point, um, then like that that's just that there's really the curriculum can say anything it's all about what actually happens so the Albanese government as part of their election promise um uh said they would put 77 million dollars towards the implementation of consent education Mm. and they have stuck to that promise which is really exciting so that is happening um and it's kind of in the process now of um, they've established a steering committee um, or like an advisory committee sort of thing to be able to think about how to best spend these funds and like what needs to be focused on for implementation. Um, I'm very privileged to sit on that committee, which is really exciting. And it's kind of like there's been a massive policy change and the implementation is where it's all actually at in this and not just yeah. there also needs to be kind of things around it. It can't just be schools. It's also going to be parents it's also going to be like sport community groups uh Mm. media like whether that's a written article that's describing these sort of things or you know i think increasingly we are seeing like more and more tv shows that are being um directed or produced in this kind of time era of having more conversations about consent or at least addressing these topics or showing it or things like that so that's all, um, yeah, that's all really good. But basically, I'm kind of at a point now where, like, we've had this massive policy change. I'm in no rush. I'd rather do it right. So yeah. if the government's going to figure out the best way they think to implement it, having kind of, like, experts and stakeholders involved in that decision and that rollout, then it's, like, at least it's going to happen now. Um, and the important thing is that we just kind of keep it, keep it relevant, keep having conversations. It's actually quite funny because... Um, consent education used to be in the Australian curriculum and it got taken out. Really? What? Yeah, it got taken out in like the 80s or something, um, (gasps) which is really funny. Oh, my God, that is so funny. I know a lot of people who kind of like, not to stereotype, but um, like young people would 
in general very enthusiastic towards these sort of reforms and more hesitation kind of came from maybe like more older like conservative um groups or whatever but it's like a lot of you guys got consent education at school <laughs> um, <laughs> um and yeah so making sure it stays in the curriculum make sure it doesn't go anywhere um, yeah and, and you're right like it's it's definitely something because it isn't just the curriculum like it is all these other influences on someone's life and and I suppose yeah. it does come down to what we're accepting socially and it is those throwaway comments and it's you know it's I and I suppose that was kind of I remember when there was all this education stuff around smoking and and drinking as well drinking culture I remember when I was younger there were these ads on TV about like the way that a parent can like subtly in like encourage binge drinking in their child by this and that like parties and the way they talk about alcohol and all these things and I suppose that that's kind of all of that tiny throwaway language and the tiny little things that like we let young people get away with you know like the flicking of the bra straps and the you know like Mm. pulling skirts up and and calling girls names like it's all of those little things that I think further ingrain that attitude and normalize it I suppose as well so it it Mm. is probably going to be a long game like I think that's so right like it is great to see this change but it's also obviously going to take time for it to really have an effect definitely that's so interesting about the um ads with the little things around yeah Uh, yeah that's actually a really interesting concept do you want to know a crazy statistic that makes me really upset Mm -hmm. um so in Australia, a woman is more likely to be raped than she is to smoke cigarettes. What? Um, and I just, I know, I find it nuts because there's like a few things in there. One, it's the prevalence of sexual violence. And then two, it's like that stat wasn't the same 50 years ago, but we've had mass education around cigarette, um, cigarettes and the health issues around smoking. We've treated it as a public health issue. We've had, you know, tax reform or like in other words consequences sort of things for um purchasing cigarettes or whatever we've had resource reallocation um you know towards prevention and stopping it instead of trying to like help people once they get sick from smoking um and we've had a cultural shift in the way that we understand smoking to like you know not be like cool anymore um and and I think, yeah, it's a testament to how much of a public health crisis this is. It's uh, 14% of Australian women smoke and at least 20% of Australian women get raped. Mm. And that's it. Like, I think it needs to be, like, holistic like that. Like, it can't – it's not just about schools. Like, I think it's so great that we're seeing that change there because I fully back, like, what Teach Us Consent has been about in terms of the school reform because that is – like, we've said this whole episode, like, that it's a really, like, crucial age to be learning about sex in a really, like – complete way um so that you take that into your future and hopefully like you know have a better chance I get well not a better chance but like you've got the you've got the educational tools to make better decisions I guess um but also Mm. it is like you know we need to be taking this as seriously as we took smoking like this is a huge deal and I think that's the frustration that we still have in Australia you know with you know domestic violence is again back in the news Like I think in general Mm -hmm. we have a really, really urgent issue with women's sexual safety where we need to be changing the way that we speak about 
speak about it, the way that we're educating men about it, the way that we're, you know, positioning it. And I think that, you know, we're making steps in the right direction, but like it's, I don't, I just don't feel that urgency, I guess. And I want, I feel like a lot of Australians would agree that, you know, we need some more urgency in that space. A hundred percent. It's just, it's not being understood as a proper like national health crisis and it really is. Yeah. Well, thank you, Chanel, for chatting. This has been so insightful. Oh, I just I could talk about this all day, honestly. I think um, it's just one of those. I, I really do feel like Teach Us Consent was really revelatory for me with just suddenly realising how much we really needed this and, and how that foundational, like, school education aspect was you know and I'm very excited for your book can you tell us a bit about your book before you, we get we finish yes oh my god this is the first time I'm explaining it out loud so. <laughs> <laughs> that's scary um it's so it's originally when I started writing it it was very much like about the campaign and like about my own experiences my own reflections things like that and then now it's really not like that at all it's actually just kind yeah. of like a massive step back um a massive step back obviously it's like very educational about kind of like what consent is it goes into detail about like concepts such as fawning and like different types of rapists and things like that and like understanding rape culture is a massive part of it um but then as you were saying before this idea that we've kind of gotten to a place of sex positivity um in a certain way in certain circles and certain ages demographics and things like that um, it definitely does make the argument that the gender equality movement hasn't kept up to date with the sex positivity movement. Mm. And what we have as a result of that is lots of unpleasant sexual experiences for women. And it's like, what, what are we like, their experiences that maybe we don't want to, we don't want to, or maybe they're not sexual assault or rape, but, um, kind of like, what are they? Like they're, they're still shit. <laughs> so yeah, let's kind yeah. Of, um, let's go into that and yeah and it's so it's basically about rape culture gender equality consent the patriarchy and um the ultimate goal of the book is to try to increase particularly young women's capabilities to be able to consent to sex um and when I say that I mean give like how to separate the dictating forces of the patriarchy to our consent, which I don't actually yeah. have the answer to, but just <laughs> encouraging people. No, to but it's a great lying. convo to be having, and I think that sounds really interesting. And I and I think that it is really all connected, like you were talking about with like gender equality conversations. Like it is all connected. Like you cannot separate consent conversations and gender equality. Like they're they're intrinsically tied. So I, I love that your book has gone there mm. and I'm very excited to read it. So it's out in September. Yes, September 12th in all good bookstores. <laughs> in all good bookstores. Well, thanks again for coming <laughs> yeah. on, <laughs> on to Love Rants. We've loved having you here. And for everyone listening, tune in next week for another episode. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning into Pop Sugar's Love Rants. Join us again next week as we navigate the vulnerability, embarrassment, and preciousness of love and self-love. Follow yuli.com.au on Instagram and TikTok to stay up to date on all things women's health.